0: And thanks so much for our awesome worship band leading us this morning. It's so good to be drawn to the heart of the Father through the gift of music. And so um, give them a round of applause at home and give them thanks to God for uh, their great gifts of service and ministry. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, amen. Probably one of the most important things that has happened recently at St. John's is something that for months we didn't do. Everything kind of shut down in the world for a few months there. We put a pause on one of the most fundamental and foundational aspects of Christianity and following Jesus, the simple act of water and the word bringing God's grace in baptism. But in the last few months, last couple months, we've figured it out and we're going forward with the Great Commission. And we've been baptizing quite a few people from little small private baptisms in the courtyard to uh, our Sunday evening outdoor service just a few weeks ago. We baptized five kids from one family. And then that same night, another 50 kids took communion for the first time outdoors with their families. That night especially, I was really excited, really pumped up to see four of those kids that were baptized also took communion first communion on the same night man they were receiving the gifts of god and the church moving forward all those children growing closer to jesus in the middle of a pandemic And that's kind of a symbol of what we're about here at St. John's. St. John's, we love children. We love kids. We have children's ministry from zero all the way up. We baptize children. We have midweek programs for our children. We teach them in Sunday school and in our school and in our preschool. Children are a huge priority for us. They have been, they are, and they always will be here at St. John's. But children have not always been so valued in society and in the world. In fact, when you go back into the ancient world, the classical uh, world, the view of children, we see a different picture than the current view. In fact, the classical world placed a high value on reason and logic, so children were regarded as inferior because they were not guided, so it was thought, by rational thinking. They were also thought to be physically weak, subject to the will of adults, susceptible to sickness. And because of all those factors, children were not admirable in the classical world. And if children were to be praised at all in any way, it would be for the potential, the potential they may possess for actually becoming someone who mattered in the future. Now, unlike today, in classical antiquity, children were not used as positive paradigms or examples for adults to follow. In fact, Plato said this. He noted that children were known for fear, for weakness, for helplessness. Pliny said this. He said, none among all the animals is so prone to tears as children. To be a child was to be dependent, defenseless, fragile, vulnerable, at risk. Those weren't the qualities associated with heroism in the ancient world. A hero was someone who made things happen. A child was someone things happened to. In fact, in the Greco-Roman world, the extremes of killing and abuse and abandonment to children were common. Babies that were disabled were often disposed of by drowning or exposure to the elements or left where waste was disposed of, essentially being thrown out at the dump. One archaeological dig unearthed 100 babies that were murdered, essentially thrown into a a sewer. Children were disposable. In fact, one ancient Roman law said that a boy who was strikingly deformed had to be disposed of quickly. I mean, such a tragic and terrible, so foreign to us in our view of children today. That sort of image of classical antiquity made me think of Rick Hoyt. Here's a picture of Rick. He's a little child. And as a uh, result of oxygen deprivation to Rick's brain at the time of his birth, he was diagnosed as a spastic quadriplegic with cerebral palsy. In fact, some people advised his parents to institutionalize Rick because there was no chance of him recovering. There was little hope for Rick to live a normal life. In fact, in ancient Rome, by custom and by law, he would have to be discarded. Baby Rick would have to have been thrown out to the dump or drowned or abandoned and killed. But that didn't happen to him because he had a father that loved him. And his father, his name is Dick. Here's a picture. His father and his mother, they brought him home to care for him. And and when he was 11 years old, they took him to the engineering department at Tufts University to see if a device could be invented to help him communicate. They were told, well, he can't comprehend anything. But they said, why don't you tell him a joke? They told him a joke, and Rick laughed. And so the department built him a computer that allowed him to type by using his head movements, the only muscles in his body that he could control. One day, Rick heard of a benefit run to help a young man who had been paralyzed, and he typed out, using his head in the machine, he typed out this sentence. He said, Dad, I want to run. By this time, Dick, his dad, 40 years old, way out of shape. He'd never run more than a mile. But Dick somehow pushed his son through this race. And his son came home, Rick, after that race and typed a sentence on that computer to change their lives. He said, when I ran, dad, when I ran, I didn't feel disabled. His dad has pushed and pulled and carried Rick in over 1,100 endurance races, 72 marathons, six Ironman triathlons. They've run the Boston Marathon 32 times. And adding to their list of achievements, Dick and Rick biked across the United States of America, completing a full 3,735 miles in 45 days. They've competed in triathlons, and for the swimming portion of the triathlon, his father used a rope attached to a little boat, and it would pull Rick. Rick has lived a full life. Rick is a graduate now of Boston University. He even lives on his own in an apartment, and he and his father, Team Hoyt, this father and son team, has inspired thousands of children, thousands of parents, disabled or not those two human beings they love and they are loved their existence their very existence is a revolution their story is inspiring and humbling especially when you compare that story to the story of children in ancient times and then you might ask yourself well when did it change The view of the child. When did it all happen that our culture would value, uphold, and lift up children? And not just children, but disabled children as well. In a way, we might ask, where, when, how, why? Why did this revolution in humanity come about? Now, I'd like to argue this morning that it came about 2,000 years ago when a helpless, little dependent, needy, poverty-stricken baby was born. Jesus Christ. And at his birth, a new era came. A time when thinking about children would begin to shift radically. A child born and placed in a manger gave rise to... The reality that had been guarded by the Israelites already for centuries, the Israelites had already held that there was one God and he is good and every human being has been made in his image. Genesis chapter 1, and the beginning it said it, God said, let us make mankind, let us make humanity in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and the livestock and the wild animals, the creatures that move along the ground. In verse 27, God created mankind, He created humanity in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And so this child born in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago grew up, and he began to say things about children that were sort of radical at the time. And children were brought to Jesus. They couldn't come themselves. They're passive. They're dependent, right? Their parents brought them to Jesus, but his disciples were like, Hey, get away. Don't bug the teacher. Don't bug the rabbi. And Jesus rebuked his disciples and said in Matthew 19, 14, let the little children come to me. Don't hinder them. The kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. My friend, that's a kingdom for children long before Walt Disney, right? The magic kingdom is closed right now. But the kingdom of heaven is always open. All children always welcome No entrance fee required. And so the little children, they came to Jesus. And as the movement of Jesus spread, century after century, the kingdom for children grew. In fact, in the Didache, a a second century teaching, Christian teaching, it prohibited the killing of children. It prohibited the practice of exposure. It, It prohibited infanticide. And then you start seeing different things said about children within Christianity. The shepherd of Herma said, all babies are glorious before God. St. Ambrose said, the church must care not only for babies, but also for the poor. Because poverty destroys the ability to care for children. We see at the coming of Jesus, a community began that cared for orphans. At baptism, the practice of children receiving godparents began to take care of children. And then by the fourth century, we see a shift in the culture of the world. Instead of leaving unwanted babies to die at the dump, they were left at a church. They were left at a monastic community. And orphanages as we know it were born. For those of us who live in a culture truly enchained by Christianity, we view each person differently because of Jesus all humans created by God in his image. And my friends, the story of Team Hoyt, of father and son, that's the result of Christ's revolution of humanity and the perception of each human being being worthy, made in the image of God. But Jesus also said some other things about children. Now, remember, even Judaism, while having a high view of the image of God. Judaism, children were never held up to be role models for adults in the sense of having some sort of positive trait that adult would emulate or follow in the example. But Matthew chapter 18 verse 1 says this. It says, at the time the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, we live in a culture that is infatuated with greatness, right? A narcissistic, individualistic, self-centered quest for greatness, well, our culture is not much different than Jesus' culture at the time. His own disciples fought over who was the greatest disciple. Jesus radically challenged them. He radically challenges us in all of humanity. In verse 2, he says, He called a little child to him and placed the child among them and said, Truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is saying we have to become like little children. Now, when we first hear that in our culture, we already value children because of Jesus. It's part of our DNA 2,000 years later. And when we hear those words, we think, okay, maybe we're supposed to have their simple faith or maybe their devotion or the sometimes amazing ability of children to love. Maybe we're supposed to follow that example. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. What he's talking about when he says lowly position, in fact, the hearers of Matthew's gospel would have thought of only two things when he said those words lowly position. They would have thought of dependence and need. So essentially, Jesus is saying to be great is first to come before God in utter and complete dependence and need. It's to say, I'm not going to try and be great on my own. In fact, it's saying God I cannot be great on my own. I've tried it my way. I've looked out for only me. I wanted to be the hero. I wanted to run the complete race by myself and bring home the gold by my might, by my will, by my power, by my determination and my ability. But when we see how huge the race is that's marked out before us and when we're honest with our own selves and our own abilities, we see that we are quite disabled. And we can't use our legs, we can't use our arms, we can't use our voice, our bodies, our spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And we cry out, we cry out like Rick Hoyt. We cry out like little Rick Hoyt, not with our own voice, but with the voice our Father provides. We cry out with a voice that's given to us. We cry out, Dad, I want to run. And our Heavenly Father picks us up. He carries us, he pulls us, he pushes us mile after mile after mile, year after year after year, decade after decade after decade, farther and farther and farther. So that we too can say, like Rick, when I run, I don't feel disabled. Jesus said, therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. But Jesus doesn't stop there. We're not supposed to only be like Rick Hoyt in utter, complete, utter dependence and need. We are also called to be like his dad. Jesus says in the next verse, whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. When Jesus looked at people, I mean, he saw the image of God. He saw it in everyone. And it caused him to treat every human being with dignity. And because of that, He changed our culture forever. My friends, in Rick and Dick Hoyt, uh, Team Hoyt, I'd say we actually see a parable of the very words that Jesus is talking about. That on the one hand, we all need to be like Rick, we need to be aware of our dependence and our need before our Father. But we also need to be like His dad, and we need to welcome all of God's children love them, care for them, give sacrificially to them, seeing the image of God in them, seeing Jesus in them. And at times, we've got to run the race for them and with them. And when we live that sort of life, that's, my friend, is when we achieve greatness, an otherworldly greatness, not a national greatness, not a worldly greatness, but a greatness that Jesus is talking about, A greatness that truly impacts the hearts of humanity and the world. A kingdom of heaven greatness. In fact, if we learn anything from Team Hoyt, we learned never to underestimate the power of our lives depending on the Heavenly Father. Little Rick wasn't thrown out, he wasn't discarded, he wasn't drowned. He was loved, he was cared for, he was valued, he was saved by his father. And so were you. Your story of dependence and trust and need for God and your story of treating every human being with dignity, that my friends is a story that saves lives and true greatness. It's your story, it's my story. It's the story of our church, it's the story of Christianity, and it's the story of all those who are entrusted, all children entrusted to our care. Let that story live and come alive in us more and more as the kingdom of heaven expands. In Jesus' name, amen.